from the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. podcast man justin i'm super stoked about this yeah and this is our last episode of the year oh my gosh is it already there yeah wow well the movie we're doing today thelma and louise ending on a bang i know yeah i'm really happy we're doing this i'm glad we're closing things out with this movie mm-hmm. this is one we kind of talked about a few times possibly throwing this in here and we wanted to do a drama kind of following yeah. up some of the last films we've been doing and i think this is a good pick I think we we're coming off of the warriors and you know very heavy like male heavy yeah film so we you know decided to balance that out a little bit with Thelma and Louise so uh a lot to talk about with this movie there's so many uh I think this is probably going to be one of the few movies where we talk about the script quite a bit Callie Curry I'm sure she's the screenwriter we'll definitely talk about her of course Ridley Scott and some I keep finding people that that don't know that Ridley Scott directed this movie, but if you watch it and have that information, I, I think it becomes pretty apparent. Yes, yeah, so if you know Ridley Scott, yeah, directed it, and then you start watching, you're like, man, this looks very Ridley Scott. Yeah, it's how like did I miss that super, before? <laughs> super stylized, like yeah. all the every, the way everything's lit, the truck stops, and all these different gas stations. It's like very neon and kind of crazy the light from the inside yeah. of the car what that's not natural yeah. but it, i think it makes this is a, yeah. this is a gorgeous looking film it's very cool and we'll of course talk about the reaction that this film received both positive and negative of course the cast huge cast and all solid performances i know we'll talk about the ending we'll probably save that until we get to the end yeah. of this podcast um, but controversial ending. Yeah. Yeah. And there's things I, it's, well, we'll get to it. We'll talk about yeah, it. I've got yeah. my thoughts about the ending. And so do you. And how this movie was touted as, yeah, things are going to change for women in movies and how that didn't happen. Yeah. So a lot to talk about in here, uh, probably throwing in some fun facts too. Yeah. There's some good fun facts about mm-hmm. this movie. And then, uh, we'll do our picks of the week, which I, uh, went with, uh, a Brad Pitt movie that also was a road kind of road movie slash crime movie. Mm-hmm. And that was California. Gotta love some California. And I went with the client also starring Susan Sarandon from Thelma and Louise. It's a favorite growing up, which is odd to say, cause it's, yeah, it's pretty intense. Pretty dark movie. Pretty dark. So is California. We, yeah, we, yeah, we, we chose some dark ones. Yeah. It's pretty dark, dark episode. <laughs> Dark, but very interesting. Yeah, so hang yeah. with us, guys. And then, uh, of course, we'll round things out with the Murray moments. But before we go into our first clip for Thelma and Louise, Lindsay, can you give us a lowdown on the basic storyline of Thelma and Louise? Of course I can. So they're just two friends, two best friends, Thelma and Louise, looking to escape their lives for the weekend. 
But when a good time turns into an attempted rape and full-on murder, well, the women flee the scene, deciding it's best to ditch their lives and run from the cops and head to Mexico. Thelma and Louise keep going, not knowing where the road's taking them, but also knowing that they can't and don't want to go back. There's a lot that happens in this story. Some of it feels very believable. There's maybe like one or two things that you're like, ah, that's where it's a movie. But uh, a lot of things that happen in this, man, I want to be in the backseat of that car for this movie. Yeah, this movie, I think it, this movie is really, it's it's very, has all these movie type situations. It's like, this is very much like a mm-hmm. movie movie <laughs> But that's why situation, we watch but, it, you but, know? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, but then yeah. at the same time, it's also like gritty. And I feel like the, the relationship is very genuine. So I think there's a... And I, and I think that's due, due to the script, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. um, coming out of the clip. But it's a, it's a movie movie for sure. There's a lot of things both visually um, that happen with the story that also help unravel the, the narrative, which yeah. is, is pretty cool. We'll go to a clip. We'll come back. We'll start talking about the script, Thelma Louise. All right. Boys, I'm getting mad. Okay, but where are we going? Oklahoma City. Jimmy's going to wire me some money, and then we're going to see where we're going. You talked to him? Did you tell him? What did he say? Is he mad? No, I didn't tell him, and that's what we got to get straight now. Daryl's been calling mad as a hornet, making all kinds of noise. And when you call him, you got to... Not tell them anything about this. You gotta just make sure everything sounds real normal. You know, I called that asshole at 4 o'clock in the morning. He wasn't even home. I don't know what he's got to be mad about. I'm the one who should be mad. Thelma, I'm going to Mexico. Now, I figure I can make it in two and a half days, but I'm gonna have to haul ass. Are you up to this? I mean, I gotta know. This isn't a game. I'm in deep shit, and I gotta know what you're gonna do. I don't know. I don't know, Louise. I mean, uh, I don't know what you're asking. Now, don't you, don't you start flaking out. I mean, God damn it, Thelma. Every time we get in trouble, you just get blank or, or, or pleading sanity or some such shit. Not this time. I mean, this time, things have changed. Everything's changed. But I'm going to Mexico. I'm going. So Thelma and Louise was written by Callie Curry and really talk about hitting the jackpot with writing the script. I mean, writing a script, it gets uh, produced and directed by a huge production company, a great director, absolutely fabulous actors and yeah. then you win the academy award for best original screenplay it's just uh, crazy it just goes crazy that kind of stuff just like doesn't happen yeah and she said that this she'd been working on it for a while that the story had been in her head for uh, quite some time but when she actually sat down to get it all written out it just took a couple months and it just kind of flowed out of her she knew the ending and everything else just kind of flowed naturally she didn't have an outline for it she just knew she just felt it basically yeah and I'd, I'd read that she really you know it's first time first time screenwriter and that this she said the movie almost was writing itself like yeah, these ideas yeah. were pouring out of her but that she eventually were 
had gotten, you know, certain instincts on like, here's how I need to formulate the characters. I know she originally like Thelma had kids and then she said, no, you know, she doesn't need to have kids. The Daryl character, her husband needs to not want her to have kids yet. Cause it'll be a financial drain on him. And she knew that that was like the cusp of like her being Thelma's character being kind of hindered, not having any kind of freedom mm-hmm. and that being like a catalyst for her, decisions that we see later on in the film yeah Callie Curry wanted Thelma and Louise to be relatable characters no matter if she changed with their original you know like home life situation Uh, like even those descriptions and then to what's on screen yes it's different but you can see how she was trying to make them very relatable and these were supposed to be women that you can identify with and that also throughout the movie uh, and from where it starts to where it ends they're they are i mean they're the same people but they've dropped this you know kind of mask that they that they start out with Thelma with with uh, her husband and Louise just like kind of very in control of her life and very anal and 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 just put together and and trying to control everything and we come to understand why each one of them, you know, are, are like this and also how this time on the road makes them kind of lose lose that mask. This movie moves very quickly in the beginning, but I think that the script is really tight. Like, it's very clearly stated in the beginning who these characters are mm-hmm. and where they're at in their lives within, like, the first five minutes. I love that about uh, it. But what I really love that the, that the script does is it we see that they're good friends almost immediately, but we have no idea like how they came to be, how they met, how long they've been friends. And we actually never find out that information. And I kind of love that about this movie because the, the characters immediately take your attention and, and you want, you want to go on this road trip with them. You know, you want to hang out with these characters. And a lot of this movie is kind of about the hang. Well, there are a lot of moments of them, you know, driving or hanging or, you know, doing little airplane bottle shots. And I, I think like the, the joyous time is that they have on the road is really like in the beginning before Louise blows the attempted rapist away. Which is um, really such a short amount of time. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really like their very first stop. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're, it is their, yeah, it they're, is their they're, first they're not, stop. They're not on the road for very long. No, it's like the and, first night. Yeah, it's the like first the very night first out. night, yeah. Um, and I, all of this is very intentional. And also, I, I think even though we do spend a lot of time with them in the car and, and they're talking, all of those moments unravel a little bit more about their characters and how they're dealing with, you know, the situation of murdering this guy and how they as humans are going to deal with this situation in kind of breaking down who they are. I love the characters in this movie. I love road movies. And this is one of my favorite road movies because road movies generally will have, you know, two or three characters and a lot of it's about the quirky characters they meet along the way or like their biggest problems will be like, oh, they run out of gas or like they get lost or something like that. This doesn't necessarily make you think it's going to be a big road movie in the beginning. You know, they have a destination that they're going to that doesn't seem like it's super far away. They're going to be there for a few days. Mm -hmm. This is going to be more of a vacation and then immediately turns into like they're on the road for the entirety of the film 
kind of running and it's it's very intense but there are moments where the movie stops takes its time you know that there's this kind of like intense clock ticking behind everything like you know something bad is potentially going to happen they're running out of time with the law Mm -hmm. but the movie does take its time it stops and settles for a moment and we get to visit with the characters and and kind of see how they're dealing with the 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 pressures of of the situation kind of closing in on them and i think the lot of that is with the script it's like done so well like beat for beat there's a lot of nice beats in this movie yeah you know one could say that I mean, the the catalyst for this movie is the attempted rape and murder that happens, like we said, pretty early on. But in thinking about this as we're talking about, you know, how everything unravels and like how it is very structured, it's also very sad to think about how it is completely feasible that two women that are on a road trip, the first stop that they make, that, okay, maybe not an attempted rape to 100% of the time, but definitely going to be sexually harassed is like is such a um, believable, you know, thing. Sorry, that was just a little thought that I had, but well, and I think that is, I think that the scene is very believable in the mm-hmm. fact that uh, everything get, that happens, that Gina Davis yeah. gets sick, this guy Harlan like takes her outside to get some air, and then immediately, you know, he's bought her drinks, so he automatically feels like he's owed, yeah, you know, some time with her, and then he, she's sick, he's you owed know. some time with her. Yeah, You're yeah, such yeah. a gentleman, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and she's she's just like puked and he's like thinking about sex. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, I'm sick, you know, and immediately gets becomes violent, becomes violent because she doesn't want to do what he wants. And he feels like he he's he deserves, you know, this you owe is this what, to what, me. What, what's owed to him. And I and that to me, everything feels like very intense, very believable. I don't know if it was written in the script this way, but, you know, and this feels like very much like a Ridley Scott thing where we see a close up of the gun going up to his mm. neck and we don't and then we cut to the reaction of Susan Sarandon holding the gun I like that he does that in two shots that we don't see her like pulling a gun out yeah it makes the scene feel much more like intense and like intimate yeah and very sure. cl- very closed in like that's everything is like very like tight like you're right there very, watching yeah. it everything is very tight in that moment the evolution of these characters uh, is so structured, but in kind of like a beautifully intricate way. Like one could say that Harlan, the guy that the rapist that gets murdered, um, that in a way like picking out Thelma and choosing her to do this, like Thelma is set up as a character who's been abused by her husband, like verbally, we don't really know physically, but verbally she's never really thought, that much of herself and in in a way she's she's stunted and she mentions later that they've been together since she was 14 she really hasn't known anything and that she she's always kind of expected a little less like she doesn't really deserve too much so she's kind of set up in this child role like or you know teenager youngster role and Callie Curry for sure sets up Louise as more of the mother in control figure and the evolution of their story as after the murder takes place, as as the story evolves, we see how they become more relaxed in who they are and they kind of start to switch roles in some ways. Thelma begins to feel more empowered and Louise le- learns to let go a little bit. And there are some like hard changes you know, for instance, 
Thelma eventually, pretty early on, kind of tells off her husband over the phone after he's saying, you need to get your ass home, Thelma. Like, not even listening that she's saying, we're gone for a while, you're not going to see me. Um, the, the evolution of this, we, as the viewer, kind of, even though, yes, they walked away from that attempted rape, they could have just walked away. We still feel justified, just like we still feel justified that Thelma's like, F you, Daryl, I'm out, you know? And, and, and all throughout the movie, we, we see them either get screwed over by the law or later on Thelma very charmingly robs a gas station. You know, we see why that happened too. It's, it's all of these things that they're kind of a victim of circumstance that it's, it's, it's justifiable. It's kind of like if uh, I know somebody's at my door and is about ready to assault me, but I shoot them on my front porch and it's not technically in my house. Am I going to drag them in? Bet your sweet ass I'm going to drag them in my house for sure. <laughs> Just saying. I'm not trying to justify. I mean, right. I am actually, but you know what I mean. Um, a lot of this movie is about Thelma's sort of like awakening as a as a new person. You know, she's mm-hmm. like kind of coming into her own and being very like uh, self-aware of that. You know, like, oh, this yeah. is, you know, she's like, oh, this is coming to me very easily. Like, I've never really yeah. been put to any sort of tasks other than kind of like doing what my husband wants and like helping him out and like now that she's like having to like fend for herself and make decisions on her own she's finding that you know she has this like sheer like instinct and independence that you know she didn't know that she had in her and that's a really I think like a really magical thing to watch and the way that Gina Davis plays that is like really amazing on screen it's so subtle you know and um but then toward the end of the movie you really get a sense of like you went on a journey with these characters. And mm-hmm. I don't just mean like a journey of like going from, you know, 500 and, miles and running from the cops. Like you do feel like you've seen these characters change and evolve. And I think that's really a tough thing to pull off. Um, I've seen movies where I've watched that are three hours long. I don't feel like I've seen <laughs> an evolution of a character as much as I had. And is this like two hour and 10 minute movie? I don't think it's just me, but by the end of this movie, I don't know if it's the windblown hair or that they're kind of dirty and grimy, but Thelma and Louise look so radiant and beautiful by the end of this movie. And they, they both start out tired or uptight, just stuck but by the end of this movie, or maybe it's just the tan from being in the desert, but I, I really think it is part of the evolution of their characters that they're supposed to be free by the end of this yeah, movie. Yeah, they, they have a much different look about them. Yeah, like, it's it's very, very different. And it, but in it, but it does, it has like these steps, you know, it's slowly. That's what, it, it has to be intentional in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So we should probably switch over to talking about Ridley Scott. Yeah, let's talk about Ridley Scott just a little bit before we go into our second clip. It's interesting, like Ridley Scott had the two two of the bigger hits that he's had, more critically acclaimed hits he's had, or movies where a woman is the lead character, um, starting with Alien being like a very huge hit for him. He's very known for Blade Runner, which at the time, though very much a, a movie that he's known for now, uh, wasn't a big hit. He did like Black Rain. He did uh, Legend. He just didn't have. He didn't have a whole lot of like big critical or or box office hits until Thumb and Louise. And it's funny because 
he's not the and how you said earlier like a lot of people don't know this is a really scott film mm-hmm. it is it is interesting to me that he did this movie because he's not really known for very what I would I feel to be like very character driven movies where the characters aren't very cold and calculated. Yeah. Um, Kelly Curry was a little apprehensive at first. Yeah, and 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 I do think that like really Scott like functions the best when he has like a very tight script and actors that can that he can bounce things off of and that he also allows actors to improvise and allows actors to if they've got an idea and they think it's going to make the scene better he's very much open to collaboration which I think is like and why he fit for this movie and why this movie is interesting because it is very character driven but it is very stylish and it is very beautifully shot and like it's a very well crafted film and sometimes you don't always get those uh, two things in one movie. Sometimes you have a movie that is very yeah. gorgeous looking, yeah. but can be short on story or characters, or you get a drama that's very great script and great characters, but can be kind of like a plain old looking movie that doesn't have a lot happening. And I think this is the best of both worlds. And I think a lot of that has to do with really Scott, but also by him having such a strong script to work from, with really great actors who can, who helped make the movie what it was. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that's a rarity in some ways because you do have, it's not to say Ridley Scott doesn't have a vision because he most certainly does. He's comes from a, a designer and commercial background. So he's, he's thinking about the whole, the whole thing, which sometimes, you know, if you don't come from say a designer background, or like production designer background, um, you know, some things can be lost or you rely on other people to pick up that slack. In in some ways, he's has this vision, knows exactly where he's going and feels confident about it, but looks to actors f- to, to bring something more to it, which is so cool. And I think has the also the ability to say, no, that I, I don't really like that idea, but if something works, he knows it's going to work. Yeah, and I and I it's it's funny to me because he had uh, in the commentary for Thumb mm-hmm. and Louise one of the things that he added to the story, which when I watch this movie now is like the most out of place scene in the whole <laughs> film, is yeah. the scene where the the guy who's riding his bike, um, oh, I like love af- this. after the state troopers like <laughs> yeah. been put inside the cop yeah. car, you have this guy who's like riding his bike. And and he stops and and starts smoking like a like he's smoking a, a joint he's smoking a joint fat and joint. then he sees the cop car and he hears the cop inside and then he just like leans in and he blows smoke into the bullet holes that Thelma had put so the <laughs> cop can breathe in there and then uh, doesn't help the cop out no and it's such <laughs> a weird scene because it's like we're already away from that you know what I mean. The only reason to use that scene would be to maybe show that the cop like didn't die from like yeah. dehydration or something, but the guy doesn't stop to help the cop, <laughs> so it just makes it kind of this like odd scene. And it's like the only time that we're we're like leaving. It's the only time that we leave Thelma and Louise, or we and we don't go to like Harvey Keitel. It's like it doesn't really do anything to push the story forward. But that was what really Scott added. He saw that guy riding his yeah. bike and he's like, oh, this would be interesting. And it's such a weird thing to add, but it's like, I think that he was thinking of it from this like, oh, this this guy looks so 
visually striking and and he's out here and he's like riding his bike in the middle of nowhere and he's got this like yellow like tight jumpsuit and and that's something that really happened yeah so and, it's and just something like, really happened oh but God, this is but brilliant. i think that like you know really scott comes from such a visual background he was just like no visually this will be so cool and interesting but in the context of the movie you're like why well, this should have just been cut out you know but but that's why i think it's good again that yeah. he works with actors and he works from a script that like makes very logical sense yeah because i could see him going in all these crazy directions in a movie that's supposed to be very really realistically grounded. Uh, it could kind of go off the rails pretty quickly. It's kind of like also a little, another little contribution he had is when right after Brad Pitt is trying to hitch a ride with Thelma and Louise and Louise is like, I'm on to this guy. No way. And just like, super fast and completely unrealistically backs up like i don't know a good hundred yards it feels like just back guns it backs up backs up into a gas station perfectly placed right at a pump and then right there is some oiled up muscle-bound dude like <laughs> just it's lifting so, weights so odd. yeah <laughs> so strange but I don't know. I never question it, but I, yeah. but I obviously see it and I'm like, well, that's random. But my attention is drawn to it. Cause it's <laughs> yes. like, you know, he's just like, and it was probably like some guys like, Oh, we're going to get this guy's like, this like should be like in like, you know, he's like, looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's like pumping iron and that he's just, next to this gas pump in the background like the like, saxophone player from uh yeah. lost boys yeah. is just like pumping iron in the background so strange and this i think is one of his best films i mean yeah i you know yeah. alien i think is his best film but to me this is like a top three like really scat movie and i think this this movie's like very exciting uh in so many so many beautiful scenes in this movie just like so it's a it's a gorgeous looking movie There's especially a- if you watch it on a bigger screen there's a moment that sticks out to me good three-fourths of the way through. They're f- way full into their journey, and Thelma's fallen asleep in the car, and Louise is kind of just having a moment driving in in the desert in the middle of the night. And there's so many shots at night that are so <laughs> well lit that you... You forget that it's completely unrealistic, but it, it's so beautifully shot. And she stops alongside of the road and just needs to have a moment and walks out into the desert and is just looking in the sky. And it's over this Marianne Faithful song that just fills, you know, where there's no dialogue. And you just, I mean, for me anyway, I really feel this moment. Um, and it's just so beautifully done and i have to believe that that's yeah that was a ridley scott moment and i i'm fairly certain too that that was a susan sarandon pushed for that scene too to happen but yeah one of my favorite scenes right there very very ridley scott and also very ridley scott the 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 pumped up action at the end where there's like all these cop cars like and there's like the trail dust behind the cars and it just looks like there's an army after them and just that whole sequence, the last 20 minutes of this movie is like, it's pretty exciting, you know? Yeah, the, it changes, not that it changes tone, but I feel in the last 20 minutes, your your heart starts to sink a little bit because yeah. you know, like, they're, you know that they're not going to make it out of this. Yeah. That and there's both no the, way. And both uh, Tony Scott and Ridley Scott, there always has to be at least one scene in each of their movies where it's just like this, like, 
torrential downpour <laughs> so they can like light the rain and have like you know people walking through rain or like doing something in the rain you know that ridley scott loves a happy accident like he loves if something just happens and it's like let's roll with it that rain like that's not fake that just happened yeah and they were like let's go ahead and use this yeah. and see what happens all right. but yeah not planned all right i did not know that yeah right well if it, it wasn't planned he probably would have <laughs> like, well, well, need well, the rain yep, trucks yep. <laughs> we gotta make gotta make brad pitt look extra sexy right now let's wet him down <laughs> well, let's go to another clip from thelma louise we'll come back we'll talk about the cast What? You're not gonna give up on me, are you? What do you mean? You're not gonna make a deal with that guy? I mean, I just wanna know. Tell me, I'm not making any deals. I mean, I'd understand if you were thinking about it. In a way, you got something to go back for. Jimmy and Jim is not an option. But, uh, I don't know, you know, something's, like, crossed over in me, and I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. I know what you mean. Anyway... Don't want to end up on the damn Geraldo show. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, they're charging us with murder. Ooh. Yeah, they say that we got to figure out if we want to come in dead or alive. Gosh. Did he say anything positive at all? So the script for Thelma and Louise was around quite a bit prior to filming. And as you can imagine, every female actor in Hollywood was, you know, interested and was aware of the film. And a lot of uh, different people up for consideration. Anyone that you can think of that was big at that time, yeah. you know, all the way down the Meryl Street. I think uh, there was a, a Holly Hunter and Francis McDormand pairing. Yeah, too. I think that was uh, Callie Curry, the screenwriter's dream team. Oh, really? Uh, that's who <laughs> she wanted. Yeah, um, would have been great. And uh, yeah, great. you know what I mean. Yeah. I could, I could actually, yeah. you know, it's like now that you say that, now that you say <laughs> Holly Hunter and and Francis McDormand, I like could totally see yeah. that work. But I do think that the pairing of Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon was was a really kind of like genius casting they just fit so well together it's and and i'm I'm also glad to know that they were they got really close and i mean they they met on the making of this movie but did end up becoming friends yeah. and, and it is so obvious with any movie where people are supposed to be friends and they're going on a journey yeah and you know there needs to be good chemistry but i do believe like these characters are friends and i do when they fight when they bicker when they you know, hug, like all the, they go through all these different like range of emotions in this mm -hmm. movie. But if you don't believe that they're partners in crime here, it, it doesn't work. And I just don't feel like there's any real false notes in this movie between no. them. Like I really, they like really, really bring the movie to life, you know, and it is a great script and there's a lot of great dialogue between the two, but they really kind of make it leap off the page. Cause it could, have have fallen apart we do start out pretty much 
very quickly you're thrust into them they are friends they're going on a road trip this is what they're doing and it's not explained like we said before and if they were not able to communicate that very clearly or have that chemistry it would have it it would have felt just stale it just wouldn't have worked but they these two really do work so well together and there's a lot of good humor in this that I think that you know, and Gina Davis really, I think, delivers a lot of the humor in this movie, mm-hmm. particularly when she's constantly excited about her self-realization of being good at being sort of like an outlaw. You know, she's like, I, I'm kind of, I kind of got a knack for this shit. <laughs> and, <laughs> or when she's like a little excited after spending the night with Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah, yeah the scene she's... where she comes in and you know her hair's all messed <laughs> up, and and definitely the scene where they overtake the state trooper and Gina Davis like tells Susan Sarandon to shoot the. The radio, such a role reversal yeah, moment, and she right shoots there. the uh, the car radio, and she's like the police radio, <laughs> Louise. Like uh, that, you oh know, yeah, that 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 scene always like makes me laugh, and I, I do like that the the script is like peppered with this humor and that very intentional humor. Mm-hmm. There's a certain sense of dread that kind of hangs on the last like 45 minutes of this oh, movie, sure. And you know, especially if you're you know you've seen the movie multiple times, you know what the outcome is and almost makes that dread seem even heavier, you know, knowing what's going to happen. And I think it is the humor between the characters that really loosens that tension up a little bit. And what a great support cast in this movie. You know, and speaking of humor, um, Christopher McDonald, who plays Gina Davis's husband, Daryl. He's so ridiculous. He's so outrageous. But I I mean, everything he says, every reaction he says, I feel like that guy's been like legitimately underused in Hollywood. (laughs) I mean, you go back and you watch every, just the way he says like, what? I mean, what? Yeah. (laughs) Like he cracks me up through this whole thing. And And a lot of things were ad-libbed. Yeah. Yeah. He did did a lot of like the ad-libbed humor and uh, it's like, what? how come that guy wasn't in more like funny roles? I mean, I know he's like in happy Gilmore and he's hilarious and that, but like where, where's, where's he been? How come he hasn't been in like a bunch of like great, someone needs to give him some like great comedic roles. I think even in the scenes with uh, Harvey Keitel where he's, you know, saying your wife is on the lam right now and going to be charged with murder. And he's stepping in his pizza that so much of what he was doing in his reaction to Harvey Keitel was making Harvey laugh that they had to work it into the script and had to use some of those takes of of Harvey kind of like chuckling a little bit because he couldn't not laugh at him. He's funny, but he does, but he also like legitimately feels like such a scumbag in the beginning when he's like talking when she's like what do you want something you want something special for dinner and she's he's like Thelma I don't give a shit what we have you know I mean like you (laughs) immediately you're like god this guy's such she's like so mean you know and she's just trying to like be super nice and like jovial in the morning but it makes Um, you really happy when she's like f you it does yeah yeah yeah. but I I think he's so Christopher McDonald is like fantastic in this and I always love Harvey Keitel but I really, and I think Harvey Keitel always has a knack for bringing this sort of like sensitive side to like a tough guy character. I think that that's always been like his strength. But it's really played up in this though. Like he's to, this he's is a good guy. I do. Yeah. This he's is like the I, only I, good, like positive I mean, character. I feel male like this character. is, I feel like this is one of his more sensitive roles since like maybe like Mean Streets or something. I think he really brings the the sympathy to the characters, mm-hmm. you know, like you you're kind of like rooting for him and when the FBI sort of starts taking over what the fate of Thelma and Louise is going to be, 
you know, he's like kind of the only person left rooting for them outside of the audience. I think with every every scene that we see him in, whether it's the very end with the FBI and he's like, when are these women going to stop being screwed over? Um, or I think my favorite moment where he's clearly on the side, not necessarily on the side of Thelma and Louise, but like sees these women as being screwed over by what their situation is. And when he's interrogating Brad Pitt about Brad Pitt having stolen the money from Thelma and Louise, um, they had a couple thousand dollars that Michael Madsen, who who plays Louise's boyfriend, has given them. He says, you know, you think that they would have held up that gas station had you not stolen that couple thousand from them? And it's the moment that kind of clicks in Brad Pitt's character. And he's like, God damn it. You're right. Now I'm going to cooperate but it's also that moment when you're like okay Thelma and Louise have somebody fighting for them somebody looking out for them there's still hope in the story and the scene where Harvey Keitel starts hitting Brad Pitt with his hat (laughs) just makes me laugh every time he's like whipping him with the hat and and speaking of Brad Pitt uh, you know this was Brad Pitt's kind of breakout role you know this was like his I mean he had done like a lot of bit parts in TV and he'd done a few like horror movies and Cutting a couple class. pretty bad like romantic like no budget romantic comedy type things but um this was really like his big breakout role and you know he's always been kind of I think known as very very like sexy iconic actor yeah um but he, I think you know and I, and I think that that's something like he's very self-aware of and I mean definitely they were going for that in, in Thelma and Louise. Gina Davis he, said he 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 made her a little little squirmy <laughs> but but you know he is a really great actor and I mean I think you know it, definitely later on in in roles you know he he's shown that and even in the my pick of the week California you know he shows a lot of range yeah. um but I think that he does offer this sort of like very handsome stranger type character who uh is very polite in the way he talks to Thelma is so opposite of how her husband has, yeah. has treated her. And though he is a scumbag, he does steal their money. And, you know, and I think that, again, that's a movie type thing, him stealing their money, a plot device that yeah. drives them to, but I, you know, and maybe that wasn't his intention, you know, like it was there, but I, I do, but I do think the placement of him is like very movie like, but I, but I think it's really great. And I love his whole interactions where they're in the, the hotel room and they're back and forth, I think is really good. And I think you know, this was like a first movie where you kind of see that this guy's like got something special. You know, he's like a good actor and he's got a good look. The scenes with he and Thelma in the hotel room, I honestly don't believe he went in there to steal much from her, maybe something, but I don't think he was expecting to find a couple thousand dollars. And, you know, even though he does do that and that's awful and puts him in a bad situation, he helps Thelma come out a little bit and shows her some attention that she has not been getting. So in a lot of ways, he is good for her emotionally. He's obviously trying to get something, but um, and he is a scumbag, but he does help Thelma in some ways. Yeah, Brad Pitt, solid performance, adorable, and yeah, just something super smooth and magical about that guy on screen. And... Uh, we've got Michael Madsen who plays 
Louise's boyfriend. And he's got a very tiny role in this, but I think very effective. And he does, Michael Madsen has that very smooth, gentle Elvis. voice. Yeah, very Elvis. <laughs> um, but then when he gets mad, you know, he is like yeah. kind of scary. You know, he's like, yeah. he's a big guy. And, and the same too has like a particular look about him. I think that uh, has worked for him throughout his career. And the state trooper that Thelma and Louise lock in his own trunk of his car, uh, played by Jason Begay, he, you know, he really does a great job in this in this small role. And there were a number of actors that auditioned for this part, and he got it because he was the only one that showed enough emotion to cry, which to me is um, really a standout part and something that's completely unexpected in that in that moment. And you don't expect it to be as, as humorous as it is because <laughs> yeah. he starts out such such a tough guy and then yeah. kind of gets broken down pretty quick. As small as these roles are, like the people that got the most out of them really kind of made these characters kind of crackle and made them interesting. And both Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis were up for Academy Awards. You know, that would be a tough call. They did lose to, I mean... I think everybody kind of lost that year to Silence of the Lambs, which was up for every single award you could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, and lost to Jodie Foster. I'm not going to argue or whatever. That would be a really hard call, but it would almost feel like Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon would need to get that award together. Yeah, like it, get a tie. It and is it, so even. And it was, uh, I think there's. it's only like one or the other. It's like maybe two times in Oscar history where two actors were nominated for the same, same movie. Same movie for like the same award you know best best actress that would be such a hard call so yeah it'd almost be like how do you pick it almost like you'd cancel each other out exactly (laughs) exactly well Um, you know what let's just give it to jodie foster because that one was a great one too so and also for for a movie around this time having two female leads was completely you know not an area that was traversed before yeah or at least to this extent and they really thought maybe not while the movie was being made that it was going to be a big deal, uh, you know, that to have two female leads, but knew that at least this was something that was that was new, and certainly got kind of a backlash from that, and a lot of people that were very supportive of it. So when this came out, the almost immediate reaction, you know, both Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis are on the cover of Time, and you know, movies are going to change for women and and representations are going to be so much better and this is where it all begins. And nothing really changed. I thought it was going to. Um, Didn't really advance. The same thing happened when, you know, a a year later, Gina Davis did A League of Their Own. Yeah. Same thing was said. And roles really haven't advanced for women, but we do have these movies like this, these iconic movies that do stick out. This movie wasn't like a smash hit like League of Their Own, like you were talking about, but like it, it was like a like a sleeper hit. And critically, for the most part, was well-liked, but I think that there was some knee-jerk criticism over this being the sort of like man-hating feminist movie. It's funny because some of the you know reviews are kind of harsh, but then when you watch this movie now, it's like, kind of doesn't really it doesn't feel like that kind it's like of they're movie. making up stuff in yeah, order yeah. to fit that you know and it, yeah. it and very much like i feel it's like knee-jerk criticism it's like watching this movie now i could see how like yeah 1991 two lead female characters wasn't something that was the norm that you would see but it definitely doesn't feel like this sort of like 
man-hating feminist movie that was portrayed to be. It feels like a pretty straightforward, on-the-road crime drama that happens to star two female leads. And if you feel like it's a man-hating movie and and feel that it's so negative towards men and terrible and and these women are you know they're killing i I think there was one review that said that they're just killing men left and right and gina davis said something like there are three people that die in this movie and two of them are thelma and louise like one dude dies in this and i feel like if you are identifying with any of the men in this movie except harvey keitel you're kind of identifying with the wrong person and i don't know you might be a scumbag I've never felt like watching this movie that it's bashing men because Thelma, you know, has this like little tryst with Brad Pitt. She's open to that. Uh, Louise even meets up with her boyfriend like they're not man hating. These are these are they're coming off of a terrible situation where Thelma's almost been raped. We find out later that Louise has been raped and that was her knee jerk reaction in shooting this guy that assaulted Thelma. We find out that they have been victims in their past and Thelma is still being a victim by her husband. These are all set up, set up very real situations. And I don't know, watching this, I've, I've never felt like you should empathize with anyone except Thelma and Louise. Yeah. One is controversial as some of the critics were. Uh, one of the biggest controversies with the movie was the ending yeah. Um, which is something I just want to talk about real quick and then we'll get to our picks of the week because we're running kind of long here. But the ending was pretty controversial. And, you know, I think the ending kind of makes the movie. Callie Curry said that she didn't see this as a suicide. And it doesn't seem like this premeditated thing either. Thelma and Louise are backed into a corner. They're about to be like shot down. They've by, got the police behind yeah, them and the a cliff in front of them. They've got helicopters, sharpshooters on them that got them in their sights. And they decide they're just going to keep on driving. It's a very intense and emotional scene. You know, I think that they shot like a couple of, you know, there was like a scene where you see the car kind of going further down into the, yeah into the ravine. Not a fan of that um, one. You know, in the movie Personally. kind of freeze frames, the car kind of freeze frames and it like fades to white. And then we just kind of like, it was a very like kind of 90s thing to show like flash uh, previous scenes that we had just watched, you know. Um, I, I could have done without the, the flash of like all the, you know, scenes from further in the movie, but it is a very intense kind of, I mean, it's a very bold choice to have your two lead characters drive off a cliff. I mean, that's yeah. kind of, I mean, it's, it's a bold ending and, yeah. um, you know, I think a lot of people just didn't know what to make of that. It doesn't give you the kind of closure, you know, you don't get to mm, see what mm-hmm. happened to them or whatever. You just kind of like, it kind of freezes on them midair and just like, I mean, you get some closure, <laughs> you do get some closure, but it's like, it's, it's yeah. like your imagination has to, has to carry you. It's, it's, it's almost kind of like your imagination could be worse than like actually seeing the car explode or something. Or, okay. Or if you don't go totally like. That's true. If you don't Thelma go Thelma and Louise are complete pancakes at the bottom of, you know, this ravine. You know, you could think about it as they just keep going forever. I mean, yeah. because that's. Metaphorically, the, yeah. Yeah. And I think it is supposed to be kind of a metaphor, but you, you and I are affected by the ending a little differently. I'm so emotionally affected at the end of this movie like the last 15 minutes and uh, and on i'm like 
my heart my heart's hurting <laughs> yeah see i i don't uh, i don't get emotional with the, i i get emotional earlier in the film when they when they realize that they're running out of out of options sure it i do feel like a sense of like dread for them and i do it does make me uh where, where the camera's just like hanging on their faces yeah. and you can kind of see their everything from here is going to be probably pretty rough but the last moments it's intense you know what i mean but you know them kind of embracing and kissing and then like driving off in it like which was a susan sarandon by and, the way and, yeah the and, kiss. It, and it freeze framing i don't hate the ending of this movie and i think it's what makes the movie by having you know having such a bold choice but it it to me it does play goofier than it does emotional for me like this sort of like the freeze frame and the flashing and the music's like kind okay, of like okay, happy okay, okay. <laughs> the freeze frame i'll give you is a little cheese but i think it's made up for because i like the montage that comes afterwards that's supposed to make the tears keep rolling justin and those tears just weren't rolling for you. That's yeah, all. Yeah, they weren't rolling that's, for me. <laughs> I think the the tears start getting churned up for me when, um, I, I forget, I think it's before they meet up with the cops and they're driving, or it might be like right after, like towards the end, and they're saying what they're going to do when they get to Mexico and all of these like grand ideas. And it's almost like they're saying these ideas because they know they're never going to get to Mexico. Yeah. And I think that's when the sadness, it's already happening. Like I'm feeling tingly right now talking about it. What, what, what would you do? What would you do? You and I are in that car and we just, you shot somebody cause I was about to be raped. Yeah. And I rubbed a This would be a, a gas much <laughs> different movie if yeah. it was me Can you me. imagine that? Yeah. If this was a man and a woman or two men. Well, just if completely. it was us personally, it would be, okay. yeah. it'd be a pretty crazy movie. I don't be. know that we would have made it all the way to the Grand Canyon. We probably wouldn't have been as sly. Yeah. We yeah. we would have we would have uh, our uh, friendship would have melted down probably <laughs> way before we got to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, you might be right. No, what are you talking about? I mean, I probably would have left you somewhere and took took the hit for the crime and just said all I the scenes it. that that involved the us at hotel rooms would be like us like trying to find like a good movie to watch. Um, Justin, I think we've spent too much money in this hotel room. You got to stop buying movies on satellite. And all the decisions would be made on cop shows, like cop (laughs) movies that we had seen. We would have made it 15 miles away from the crime before he'd be caught. But no, I, you know, it's like, again, I, I don't dislike the ending, but I don't, but yeah, we have two very different like ways we feel about how like it ended. There was a, there was an idea that, that really Scott had where he had Louise push Thelma out of the car before Louise drives off the cliff solo. I wouldn't have hated that. I kind of like that idea. And yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that would have played, I think that the movie now would have played better with that ending to me, but I, but I think that you would have lost some of the, the boldness and like the, I mean, yeah. cause it is kind of like a real crazy gotcha ending, you know, you're, it is, it's, 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 it's pretty original and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Louise is still going to go to jail. I, I wouldn't want to lose. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is just like, that would be a very typical, like, oh, okay. Ending, like, what are you going to cut to an epilogue of her? Like, you know, sitting in a jail cell. I, I do like that. It's just kind of like, bam, you know, you just close on, you, you kind of go out guns blazing, you know, it is very much cowboy story going out guns blazing. And I think that's exactly what I like. About and I it. do. And I do like that. It takes like a different non 
like machoism guy approach, you know, we're just going to embrace and pleasantly drive off this cliff. We're not going to turn around and get all like riddled with bullets and like just try to get maybe get one or know. two shots off. Yeah. You they know. know that they're done. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's like something that like you wouldn't see if it was two guys. The extended ending with the car going further that one's worse to me. I don't yeah. want I don't want to see the car because that's when it becomes real and that's when the metaphor stops yeah. for me. Like I said, Susan Sarandon's choice was to kiss in the car. Like that moment is just like they know. They know it's done. Yeah. Oh god, so emotional. Well, let's uh let's stop there. We'll do a little thumb and Louise wrap up before we close out the episode entirely. But let's move on to our picks of the week. Okay, so my pick of the week was California with a K. Uh, connected to Thelma and Louise via having Brad Pitt as one of the main actors and it also being a road movie slash crime movie. It stars uh, Brad Pitt, Juliette Lewis, David Duchovny, and Michelle Forbes. Uh, David Duchovny and Michelle Forbes play sort of this yuppie, artsy couple, very East Coast. Uh, David Duchovny's a writer. She's a photographer. He gets an advance on writing a book about serial killers, but he's only really learned about serial killers you know, from what he's learned in college and textbook, he hasn't really been out and explored and seen or interviewed any or experienced anything, the real thing. So he's going, they're going to drive to California and visit various crime scenes that have happened along the way, historical crime scenes of serial killers. He's going to write about it. His girlfriend, Michelle Forbes is going to take photos, um, but they don't have a they they want to make the trip economical, so they put a ad up on at the at the school. They want someone to ride with them and kind of share the gas money and the expenses. And so they unfortunately pick up uh, Brad Pitt and Juliet Lewis. Um, Brad Pitt is sort of like a he he plays. I mean, him and Juliet Lewis in this movie are amazing. Like he plays a serial killer, kind of like this very. They're they're both very. I would say like kind of rednecky, rough characters. Um, Juliette Lewis almost seems like she. It's it's kind of interesting because they 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 take this trip in a convertible, much like Thelma and Louise, and uh, Juliette Lewis has got kind of like this childlike quality in the same way that that Thelma does in Thelma and Louise. But immediately there's a clash of characters. You know, they're they're you can tell they come from completely different backgrounds. So there's a culture or there's a clash of the the classes going on here, but there's an immediate fascination that David Duchovny has with Brad Pitt's character. And that's because Brad Pitt is kind of like a loose cannon. Um, there's several scenes where, you know, he does things that David Duchovny would be scared to do. Like there's a scene where they're in the bar and Brad Pitt almost like beats a guy to death where David Duchovny kind of freezes and he doesn't know what to do. And, uh, Michelle Forbes, girlfriend is not so convinced. She's not very happy with their, uh, situation. We start to see that Brad Pitt's character is very evil, like inherently evil. There's a couple of very uh, intensely violent and brutal scenes, but I do think that they play to the movie well. I don't think that they're exploitive in any way. I think the big thing with this movie is the acting is so great. I mean, and it almost like benefits Brad Pitt's character in this movie that he wasn't as famous yet. Now when you watch it, it's kind of hard to remove the, the Brad Pitt that we know, this like sort of like superstar. But he still gives, I think, like a really chilling performance in this. And Julia Lewis, that the character that she plays in this, I feel like she kind of redid over and over again in other movies. But if you haven't seen 
you know, a ton of her movies, her performance in this is kind of like eerie as well. You know, this almost like stuck in like this sort of like strange, like childlike state. Um, uh, the movie does, uh, what, what I, what I love about this movie is, is like, and I don't want to spoil the ending. If you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend checking this movie out. You know, this movie definitely heads in the direction of like a thriller that could go off the rails in the last like 20 or 30 minutes and, and kind of become like a cat and mouse movie. It does do that a little bit, but I think it does something a little bit special and a little bit different. I won't spoil it, but it all, but I think that there's a lot of layers to this movie, a lot about like inherent evil and like having, you know, some sort of like moral or ethical code and how we were raised and like what environments we are in. And, uh, I think it sort of explores a lot of those idealisms and what separates us from like being good or bad, you know, what is that line and, and how self-aware are we of that in ourselves? Um, and I think it, it toys with a lot of those notions in this movie, um, ultimately coming to like a very climactic ending, but yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a it's a great movie. It's one that kind of uh, this movie really bombed when it came out. I think it's like really been underseen, and certainly there's a lot of movies that have come out after this, after California, that I, I think have similar themes. And we've seen a bunch of serial killer type shows and movies, and this one's a little bit different because it's not so much about serial killers and about Brad Pitt's character being a serial killer. There's a little bit of that in there, but I think it digs a little bit deeper and it's pretty raw. It's pretty gritty and it's very stylishly shot. I think it has like a, a, a great look to it. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a very taut, intense thriller. I, I highly recommend it. I've always really loved California for obvious reasons. I love David Duchovny, but this, this movie is very engaging. It's very uncomfortable in a lot of scenes. Um, but man, I, yeah. Always really, really loved California. It's been a fun rewatch. You know, it's 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 a great film. Yeah, you've made me want to rewatch it. I, yeah. I might do that tonight. Your pick was also sort of a dark movie. Um, like we said, The Client. Yes, not not a road trip movie. With yeah. with a with a like a crime theme. A crime theme. Yeah, crime thriller crime. Um, all right, like under 10 minutes into the client just two innocent kids messing around in the woods and then boom tension ramps up when these kids witness a man trying to gas himself to death in his own car but not before confessing to one of the boys why he's committed suicide and police evidence is going to show us very soon that one of the boys has been in the car and a whole host of fingerprints to back it up and the boy's been keeping a tight lip on all the details relating to the suicide 11-year-old Mark Sway, who's played perfectly by Brad Renfro in his big screen debut, begrudgingly hires a female attorney for $1, mind you, the dollar that was in his pocket, and to represent him as the heat on him is increasingly intense. The mafia is after him, the media is after him, attorneys and police are attempting every shady move possible to trip him up. The only person in his corner is his attorney, Reggie Love, played by Susan Sarandon from Thelma and Louise. Directed by Joel Schumacher and from the mind of novelist John Grisham, the sweaty, full-of-heart legal drama, no frills, nothing fancy, just a non-stop thriller. Mark and Reggie become this unlikely, bullheaded team battling two very real evils, mob guys trying to kill them and the self-serving politicians looking to gain notoriety from the case. 
The core of the client centers around the relationship, the partnership really, between Mark and Reggie, who, as his attorney, knows that he needs her, but also she needs him. Helping this kid who's never had a break in his life will fill a hole inside her where she failed her own kids. And man, Sarandon proves time and time again she is a commanding pro. I wouldn't want to see anyone else in this role. And the resourceful, rough and tough little Mark Sway, well, Brad Renfro is simply impressive. It's hard to believe he only had some high school plays to back him up before doing this huge film. He's so beyond other kid actors at this point in his life. Tommy Lee Jones's expertly placed schmuckiness as the Bible-thumping attorney is the perfect antithesis to Reggie's care for Mark. He leads the legal brigade against Mark to spill his guts, paying no mind to the 11-year-old's life being in danger. And Mary Louise Parker kind of rounds out the main cast. She is the ever-passionate, engaged chameleon in this role as Mark's blue-collar mama just trying to make ends meet. You empathize with her struggle, being stressed about her boy in legal trouble, and also her other boy who's been traumatized and becoming catatonic since he and Mark witnessed the suicide of the mob lawyer. He's never had a break and he's counting on me, is a line from Sarandon's character. It encapsulates the heart behind this crime story. Also, there's zero love interest in the client. I mean, when does that ever happen? Sarandon plays an independent figure, as does Tommy Lee, and Mary Louise Parker doesn't want love. She just wants a chance to start over. Really, the closest thing that we get is the bond between Mark and Reggie, and that's what has us wiping our eyes at the end of the movie, or at least me, not some dramatic kiss, which I very much appreciate. The Client may be one of Joel Schumacher's best films. The steaminess of the South is front and center. The alienation that comes from fear and being hunted is illustrated in each heart-pounding scene. But the maybe like the most noticeable of Schumacher's decisions is to use intimate close-up shots, which helps create um, every perilous moment that comes up. And John Grisham knows the South, having spent a large majority of his youth and college days in Mississippi and Arkansas. That southern sass is littered all throughout the client, but it never feels fake. It feels totally legit. And before I wrap this up, Brad Renfro is another River Phoenix, a, such a promising young actor that was gone too soon due to drugs. Kid had some great movies under his belt before he passed. Fairly sure I've probably seen every one of them and really appreciated everything he had to contribute to those movies. And like Phoenix, he was able to give strong yet sensitive performances, even in an early age, forever leaving a very real presence on screen. That said, um, Grisham's story of the client goes beyond just the courtroom, which is kind of cool, and I would prefer that in a story like this. It gives us a compelling and very personal story. The quest to keep Mark Sway and his family safe while solving the crime and the Sway family finally catching a break in life at the end, well... Man, the client is incredibly engrossing and ends up feeling really satisfying at the end. Do you remember this one very much, Justin? Yeah, this was one that I hadn't seen in forever. And then I was like, when we first started podcasting together, you like brought up like maybe like once a week to me. And then uh, I brought up the client. Yeah, you used, used to bring up, <laughs> not much as much lately, but whenever, but you used to bring it up a lot. And then, so I, uh, I ended up watching it and I, I really enjoyed it. And I didn't remember that. I mean, that, the, beginning of this movie is like really intense i mean really really it's intense. a punch yeah. yeah yeah you're right i mean brad renfo is he's he's pretty amazing so natural yeah, yeah. And, and like thelma and louise it starts 
like you start with like a little bit little yeah. bit of something to get you engaged or like get you into the story and then you were just punched straight in the face yeah. with like whoa okay yeah but i do love the client i love california too yeah. great picks of the week yeah these are all these are good good group of movies yeah good group of movies go figure that's what we're telling you about yeah we're not going to tell you about movies you shouldn't see. That's yeah. boring. Well, actually, I have this list right here that's <laughs> going to pull out of movies that we shouldn't have people watch. No, I'm just joking. Instead, we'll do something else. Here's your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow you're going to come and shake my monkey tree again! Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. Back in episode 12, our all-Bill Murray special, we focused on one of our favorite films, that being Quick Change. And since we're doing Thelma and Louise, I thought it appropriate to revisit this film, which co-starred Gina Davis, of course. Now, Quick Change was still a year prior to Thelma and Louise, but Gina had been around on the big screen since her small role in 1984's Tootsie, which also co-starred an uncredited Billy Murray. And after she won the Oscar for 1989's The Accidental Tourist, Billy said of choosing Gina for Quick Change, well, we felt legit having her in Quick Change, you know, her being an Oscar winner and all. But you know, Gina still had to audition for her role in the film, which was co-directed by Billy and friend Howard Franklin. Having run into Bill so many times uh, since their days on the Tootsie set, Gina's never been surprised at any way in which Billy may goof around or mess with someone. But for her audition for Quick Change, Gina kind of saw another side of Billy. Bill was like, not awake yet or something? He had 14 cups of coffee, 14 donuts, 14 cigarettes, and he was finally starting to come around. After not being totally sure how her audition went, Gina finally heard back from Billy and Howard on what they thought about her for the part. Basically, they liked her, sure but didn't think she was tough enough for the role, so they wanted her to come back for another reading. Determined to land this part, Gina's thinking that they just didn't perceive her as tough enough because she's always full of smiles, a little goofy, though very intelligent, but all around comes off like a genuinely nice person, not a woman who could rob a bank, as her character does in Quick Change. This time, she said at the second go-around, I'm going to kick Bill in the ass and take no nonsense. She was ready to go in there and own that audition and anyone who was there to judge her performance. But Bill is this disarming person, Gina said, reflecting back on the experience and what unexpected event was about to occur. He starts tickling me, untucking my shirt, and he has this new massage thing he just bought and just starts rubbing it all over me. Gina knows that admitting that this happened sounds a little awful, but don't get it twisted. Billy's not pulling some casting couch crap. He's throwing the actor off guard, in a sense, taking the tension out of the room and making a person act genuine. So this bizarre tickling, massaging session happening, 
Gina knows that her plan as the tough guy was completely out the door. She attempted the new and harder persona for this role, but apparently, as she did that, Billy and Howard both said, Yeah, that's great, but remember that last time when you did it really sweet? Well, we decided we kind of want that back. So after all that, they decided they loved her initial audition. And if you've seen Quick Change, you know Gina's performance as a perfect middle ground between being sweet and caring, but also a sly, take-no-crap character. She nailed that in-betweenness that was needed for that role. One recounting of this experience can be seen on an episode of the Arsenio Hall Show. You can find it on YouTube. And at first look, this interview is super uncomfortable. But after knowing what happened in that audition, that both Billy and Gina have great senses of humor, they play really well off of each other, it's extra funny to see how they're pretending to be kind of like coy about the whole situation. It's really only Arsenio that's making that interview super uncomfortable. Before I close out this Murray moment with Gina Davis and Quick Change, one more thing. Yes, Billy's nonsense flirtation with his co-stars is something he's done his entire career. He did it with PJ Souls, Sigourney Weaver. I mean, when the man was growing up, he was always more interested in making women laugh than even paying attention in school. Case in point. Rehearsals had begun for quick change, and Gina's learning her lines, working with her acting coach, deconstructing her character, making notes in her script, and being very serious about her role. Billy's noticing all of her moves, all of her notes, and finally he cracks. He keeps trying to sneak a peek at her script and pointing at her notes and saying, What's that say? What's that say? Gina wouldn't let him see her notes, but knew he was curious. He finally sneaked in one time, she says, And the next day, he had these pages from the script that he kept looking at and wanting me to notice that he was looking at the script very intently. So I'm like, what you got there? And he had written parodies of my notes next to all of his notes. And she said for the rest of the whole day, she couldn't even work. She just kept cracking up the whole day. And if you remember from a previous Murray moment, Billy did similar things to old Sigourney on the set of Ghostbusters. And I'd like to think he does this because he wants people to loosen up. If you're too rigid... I could see him thinking you're going to be tough to work with or too stiff. I'm a person who breaks tension with humor fairly regularly, so I'd like to think Billy's doing this just to be silly, but totally with a purpose. So bringing it back to quick change, Justin, this is your favorite Bill Murray movie, right? I'm pretty sure. Yep. Everyone should see this movie. Um, I still love it so much. Watch it every now and again. Um, Dip back into the archives, episode 12. If you want to check back to see what we have to say about it, too. It's a fun episode. Yeah, it was. Anyway, that's your Murray moment. Thanks so much for that Murray moment. I, it's like for a second I was like, oh, yeah, Gina Davis, Bill Murray. Uh, some, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like sometimes I'm, I forget how you're going to connect it, and then I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good, you know. I, easy, easy one to go. Sometimes it's a hard, uh, you know, it's, I had to, it's a hard way to get there. There's, you remember when we did the episode, it was like hard to find some like stuff on it, like deeper stuff. Yeah. Oh, on quick change. Yeah. yeah. On, on quick change. I had to dig real deep on this one and like had to order a back issue of a magazine that's no longer in print and was like, I know something's in there. I like the, the links you go for your research. Gotta find you it. You don't mess around. You gotta find it. Well, thank you again for that Murray moment. Of course. Do we have any final thoughts, like little tidbits on Thumb and Louise that we didn't get to earlier in the episode before we close this thing out here? There's a little funny story that Gina Davis told about 
how she ran into George Clooney on a plane one day and he just kind of said, man, I'm still mad at that Brad Pitt. And Gina Davis is like, what? Wait, I thought you guys are friends. And he's like, yeah, but um, yeah, we're friends, but I'm just mad at him still for getting that Thelma and Louise part. And she was like, oh, you, you were up for that. And he's, and he said, yeah, don't you remember when we did the audition together? And she totally played it like she knew what was going on or that, that she did remember. And she had no recollection of that experience at all. That's funny. Man, <laughs> I cannot see George Clooney in that early. Though. No, not at all. And reportedly, Brad Pitt got paid like $6,000 for this role. That's crazy. That's, I, I mean, I don't know. I found a couple sources saying that. It's almost identical to the amount that he stole from, almost. from Thelma almost. and Louise. Whoa. Um, I knew and there was going to be one mind blowing moment in this episode, <laughs> and that was it. That was it. Um, and I guess I could have one more little Gina Davis thing. She has a really cool um, organization. It's called the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, and it is studies after studies of different representations of the inequality of men and women's gender representation in media. And since the U.S. puts out basically 80% of the media that goes out worldwide, uh, kind of we're responsible for reinforcing gender stereotypes and seeing whether it is for every three men, it's one woman or, or a crowd scene, you've got 17% of women and the rest are all men. Like these are important things to notice. And, um, her Institute does a lot of research on this. So i Check them out. There's there's a lot to be um, investigated on their, their website. Maybe we can put a link on the Facebook yeah. page. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's interesting. I did not know that. She It was after Thelma and Louise's when she got really interested in that and started noticing that women were lacking or that, that just weren't in things. It kind of started with her uh, kid. She started showing her kid um, G-rated movies and noticed the stark absence of females. That's awesome. And she kind of took things into her own hands. Yeah. It's like been her... Make it happen. Behind acting, it's like the number one, if not number one now, overacting. Yeah. Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon are both pretty radical, awesome yeah, people, it's too. awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to our... Uh, take on Thelma and Louise. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And we'll see you uh, next year. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a, just a little winter break here to get through the holidays. You know, we both as everybody is, are busy during the holidays, so we're going to take a little break, but we'll be back um, January 10th, I believe, Mm -hmm. will be our first episode, and we'll be kicking the year off the middle of winter. We thought it would be a perfect time to do John Carpenter's The Thing yeah. and it uh, kind of boggles my mind that we haven't done a John Carpenter movie on this podcast yeah, yet. Yeah, it is kind of weird. Um, now is the time. So. It's, it's now. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see you next year with The Thing. Um, if you've uh, been following along, again, thank you so much. I know I always say it, but we can never thank you enough. You can find us on social media and Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Don't push pause podcast. If you ever want to check out uh, old archive episodes like our episode 12 on Quick Change, um, sometimes those episodes are not always available on the 
podcast platforms, but you can find all of our older episodes in our archives at don'tpushpausepodcast.com. And if you ever want to reach us directly, um, feel free to message us at don'tpushpausepodcast at gmail.com. So uh, we'll see you next year. Until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reber. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, guys.